Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We did Oilers game day trivia for Pro-Am Sports Fan Cave Fan Gear Specialist for all budgets. All correct answers entered to win uh, in a uh, draw for a, a signed Evander Kane jersey. Check out Pro-Am Sports. Ca 12728 St. Albert Trail in Edmonton. And the question was, um, can you name um, the coach that Lou Lamarillo, as athletic director of Providence, coached or hired to coach his basketball program who would go on to win a national championship at a prominent NCAA school and also head coach two uh, significant NBA uh, organizations and the correct answer is Rick Pitino Rick Pitino was the correct answer and so nicely done there we just have to get the we had about 35 I think I screwed this up because I re uh, it was George. Nice job. George got that one. That was not an easy question. Yes. Lou Lamarillo, before working for the New Jersey Devils in the early 1980s, was the head coach of Providence and their AD, their athletic director. Guests and orders now receive gift certificates to Japanese Village Evidence. Favorite place to celebrate your special occasion. Try a Wagyu steak today. As we head off to the River Cree Resort and Casino Hotline, we already talked about Wow Factor Desserts today. Colorado, it was Christmas at 6.30. Chad dropping off. Um, Lots of different uh, options as we welcome back to the show former NHL player who's the number one pick, 1983 NHL draft. Uh, GM of the Tampa Bay Lightning started Octagon's player agency, and his appearances are brought weekly by Wow Factor Desserts. It's Brian Lawton. Experience the power play this festive season with fan favorites and seasonal sensations. Check out their full lineup at wowfactordesserts.com today. Uh, how you doing, Brian? I'm doing fantastic, and I could have answered that trivia. I'm from Rhode Island and Providence College when Lou was there, and Rick Pacino, not shortly thereafter, is where I was actually going to go to college. I signed a letter of intent with them strictly because of Lou Lamarillo. Really? Now, when you later dealt with them as an agent, how did that go? Great. Lou's never been anything but a perfect gentleman to me. He's one of only two general managers after calling up about 10 in the league and asking when I decided I wanted to become a GM if I could spend some time with them and see how they work. Lou Lamarillo and Brian Burke were the only two GMs that said yes. There's many names out there your listeners could guess that did not say yes, and I was somewhat taken aback by that way back when. Hmm. So the two American guys, now you know we had Brian Burke do this show for four years in between Calgary and before he went to Pittsburgh, right? And at first, people are, the first couple of weeks, people were like, why would you have the guy that used to work for Calgary on the radio show? And within three weeks, they're like, he's the greatest guest you've ever had. you got to keep getting him on the radio show. <laughs> and I agree with you. He is a fantastic uh, guest. I spoke to Berkey. The other day, um, he's just such a great storyteller that uh, it'd be hard not to want to have him on, honestly. He's got so many incredible stories, but he also tells them so well. It's very entertaining. Yes, his Neil Yakupov story, uh, you know, certainly resonated with our fan base, and it was one of the worst interviews. He told this story about he'd been in Alberta like a month, and he went out to go see some guy to get some work done. And uh, Brian, Brian goes, do we need to drop a contract or something? The guy knows, no. 
you came out to see me. We talked. It's done. We'll, we'll get it. He shook his hand. And I think that at that moment, everybody was, uh, and it was kind of, what was that Tom Cruise movie where he played the agent? <laughs> Oh, Jerry, Jerry McGuire. You had me at whatever it was, right? So it was one of those <laughs> moments for our fan base. Say Adam had hello at that stage. Uh, so, Brian, uh, I'm going to shoot you some stats here. 10 and 5 under Chris Knobloch. Uh, number one in goals for since uh, the coaching change was made. Number one in the power play. Now, maybe that's not a surprise because the Oilers were the highest scoring team in the league last year with the best power play. But number three in the league in PK. I'm going to ask you this question consistently because I know you're watching Edmonton play. Do the Oilers appear, and they, and they were poor against Florida. It was it was a bad night against Florida. They should have won the game against Tampa. They had 57 shots on goal. Vasilevsky was brilliant. Do they look like a different team here? They do. They do. And it wasn't a great outing against Florida, but I do agree with you. After the Tampa game, there's always games like that during the season. They're incredibly frustrating. The really good coaches and managers generally look at the players and say, keep your head up, your chest up. We played great. Let's just do it again next game. That didn't happen, but uh, I think it's really important that leadership always take that role when you come across one of these games where, if not for Vasilevsky, that game wouldn't even have been close. Yeah, it's interesting with these Russian goalies because Bobrovsky was really good early against Edmonton as well. Nugent Hopkins had two point-blank looks, like one from the kill zone, like from 10 feet out. The other one was on a partial break. Would have had to have been a really good shot to beat him. Uh, and tonight it's going to be Ilya Sorokin. So we're seeing a run on really good Russian goaltenders. Uh, we're going to see Shosturkin with the uh, Rangers on, on Thursday. Now, I have a theory. Would you like to hear my theory on Russian goalies? Fire away. I believe they're not overcoached, and they're allowed to rely on their athleticism and their intuitive feel for the game. And I think we've had a movement, certainly in Western Canada, in the early 2000, like 2010s, there was a movement to you know head placement, tracking of the puck, uh, economy of movement. And the game has changed over the last decade. We used to have fourth line enforcers. Now we got skill on the fourth lines. You have more open area on, on the ice. You have more penalties called, better power plays. And I think that the goaltenders that were blockers are at a bit of a disadvantage. And the goalies that rely on their more intuitive, natural, instinctive play have a better chance for success. And it appears as though Russian goaltenders are the goalies that are making this happen right now. What do you think? Am I out to lunch or am I on to something? No, I think you're dead on. I think we've created a lot of blockers here in North America, taking away some of the athleticism, not understanding the game as well as you need to just to read plays. I have these discussions all the time with former goalies. Uh, I just had it the other day with Mike Liute. In Sorokin's case, honestly, He's probably the best goalie in the league for me really? this year. Yes, he's just been outstanding, and hopefully that won't be the case tonight for Edmonton. Uh, but, boy, he really kept this team on the tracks early on, in my opinion. I think they've got some wind in their sails now, and they're playing much better. Um, but it really was Sorokin, in my opinion, that, that kept them on a very straight and narrow path because of his incredible play where he literally stole games left, right, and center. In terms of being overcoached, 
I do think you're correct with that. I think technology became so available so quickly with so many different goalie coaches out there preaching their own specific way to do things. I really think it hurt the development overall of our goalies. When you look at where are the best goalies in the world coming from, yes, Russia is right there. Finland's been there for a long time, although that slowed down a little bit. Um, but we haven't done a great job here in North America, not in Canada and not in the U.S. either. Yeah, it is it is interesting. I mean, now let's say Demko and Ottinger are American goalies, and they're having pretty good years. Demko's healthy. Um, I, I, I'm going to throw it out there to our listeners. Who's the best Canadian goaltender in the league right now? You can, like, because you can add Hellebuck. Like, you got Hellebuck, Ottinger, and Demko are all American guardians, and then you got the Russians. Texas at seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Who's the best Canadian goalie currently? In the, now, here's the thing with Canada: they're so good at forward and defense that they might be able to war, win with, you know. I mean, people. I carry Price won the MVP in fourteen fifteen in the National Hockey League. He was brilliant that year for the Montreal Canadiens. He won the fourteen gold. And I'm reminded, Bob, Canada gave up three goals against in the entire Olympics. Like, they had a pretty good defense. And it was ironically Kevin Lowe that, you know, conceptually the lefty-righty combinations, if you recall, they had Jay Bomeister and Alex Petrangelo on that 2014 team that year, and that was their third pairing. So they had some pretty good pairings. But uh, I I, I, I think statistically, uh, you know, guys that, people wouldn't have considered are the elite Canadian goalies right now. Aiden Hill, Cam Talbot. Uh, you know, it's shocking, really. I mean, well, b- before this season, Stuart Skinner, after, you know, being second in rookie voting, some people might say, you know, Carter Hart and Stuart Skinner might, you know, two guys out of the Edmonton area might be two of the guys that would merit consideration for the Canadian Olympic program. And as we know, Stuart's had a tough year. The Oilers, Brian, I, I saw a couple different statistical measures and expected uh, goal differential, and the Oilers are minus 28 of what they should be, combined between offense and defense. Skinner, by the way, is the only goalie in the league with a, according to one of the statistical models, with a minus 10 goal saved above, ex- only double-digit mi- uh, uh, minus goal saved above expectation in the entire league. Now, part of it is he starts the majority of the games, and he got off to a tough start. And that's what's so tricky with the Oilers. If you look at their shot metrics and their advanced analytics, you would think they would have scored more and clearly given up fewer. And, you know, and Skinner until a game against Tampa Bay was on a pretty good seven-game run. So it'll be intriguing to see what happens tonight. Should be a tight one tonight. I mean, that, that certainly is what the Islanders want to happen in this game. They want to slow it down. They want to play a little bit more of their pace. They're used to being in low-scoring, tight games, although they've had a number get out of hand for them. Uh, but it's clear they can't match Edmonton's firepower. But they do have the advantage, which kind of strikes me as odd right now with some of their injuries defensively and in goal. Yeah. Uh, I got a question to ask you. We're going to do our prospect report tomorrow on uh, tomorrow's edition of Oilers Now for Reface Magic. Save money on your kitchen renovation. Don't replace Reface the Oilers have an interesting situation going on in the minors. Jack Campbell's down in the AHL. He has an 818 save percentage in his last three starts. He's been pulled in two of the last three starts for Bakersfield. They got three games this week in the American League. Um, 
and I think they're going to go with Olivier Rodriguez in two of those three starts because they're at the stage now where, you know, they can't have Jack starting three out of four games if he's at 8-18. they got to start winning some games down there. And Rodriguez got better than a 930 save percentage. And this guy is one of those smaller goaltenders that's a little bit more reliant on athleticism. How tricky of a situation do you think that is for Ken Holland and Keith Gretzky, knowing that the hope was that you were going to get Jack to get his game back down in the AHL, and he's struggling a bit in the A now. And meantime, you've still got a 22- or 23-year-old goalie who for the last half of last season and the first five or six games this year has basically put up about a 925 save percentage. Yeah, it, it is a tricky, tricky situation. I mean, obviously, you want to get Jack playing. That certainly was the plan. But at the same time, this is always the challenge for organizations is that you got to maintain a level of accountability. It doesn't have to be exactly equal, but it has to be a level where the players buy into it. Otherwise, you lose the whole team. So it's very tricky. Uh Rodriguez, in his case, has played great. <laughs> and, you know, he's not, he's very slight, as you know, but not tiny. He's just not 6'4. And that's something that, you know, most of the teams are looking for. I, I hear it all the time. We can't coach size. Well, yes, but UC Soros isn't the biggest guy you've ever seen, and he does just fine. Uh, Sorokin doesn't present himself as the biggest guy you'll ever see either. So it certainly can happen, but uh, I think you got to play the guy that's deserved it at some point. It just can't go on forever where the performance is just so subpar that you have to keep rolling a veteran out there to the detriment of the entire you know, minor league system. And you know, the funny thing is, ultimately, Ken Holland would tell you, hey, I signed off on signing Jack Campbell in that five-year deal. Brad Holland had just moved into a portfolio of uh, head pro scout uh, when that occurred, and he was based in Toronto. Zach Hyman was Jack Campbell's teammate. Uh, There's lots of intel. Jay Woodcroft was the head coach, the goalie coach in Toronto. Steve Breer was uh, Jay's, I'm not sure if it was his roommate, but was his teammate for three years at Alabama Huntsville and is a friend of Jay's. Steve Breer is now in uh, Seattle. Uh, and by the way, they're having some challenges there as well. So, you, you know, like, there's different – it's never just one or two people with input on decisions like that, is it? No, it isn't. And, you know, when you really look into how the decision was made, I think the process was rock solid. Uh, it wouldn't have been one I made, but that's because I look at goalies a very specific way. I never profess to be an expert. But for Jack Campbell, my analysis, because somebody in the organization did ask me this, what I thought after they signed him, and my answer was very clear at that time, it was I've never seen him make two of the same saves. And that's not a good thing for the fans listening because you know you don't see that consistency or structure in his game. He's a little bit, little bit like a Dominic Hasek in that fashion. Of course, Dominic was a one-of-a-kind Nobody else has really been able to have that type of consistency of being able to stop the puck other than Dominic. So that would have been my analysis. But when you look at the process that Edmonton went through, it it just shows you how tricky the goaltending can be to evaluate. So many of these guys are up and down from year to year. You hear names like James Reimer. He was playing better. Jake Allen's playing better. You know, there's been years when these guys couldn't stop a beach ball. 
Yeah. But they get their games turned around. You get in the right frame of mind mentally. You find a group that you play better in front of. There's so many different variables. It's very, very challenging. Of course, it looks terrible for Edmonton right now, but that happens to almost every team at a different time in their uh, evolution, so to speak. So uh, hopefully Jack will get his game back. You know he'll continue to get games, but I don't think he should get every game just because he's a veteran. Yeah. Brian, uh, happy holidays. By the way, we're getting texts in the best goalie in the last 10 games uh, that's Canadian has been Stuart Skinner. Uh, Roland Texas to say that. So that might give you a bit of a perspective. It does tend to be a fickle position. Uh, Merry Christmas, and uh, we will, what, uh, what, what is next? No, we do not have a show on the 26th, so we'll hook up in a couple weeks, okay, Brian? Sounds good, Bob, thanks. Happy holidays. That is Brian Lawton for our friends at Wow Factor Desserts. Experience the ultimate power play this festive season with fan favorites and seasonal sensations. Check out their full lineup at wowfactordesserts.com. With close to 35 years in business, Brent Ridge Ford has many long-term loyal customers, and it's Christmas season. If you currently own an F-150, you can get up to 16000 off a new F-150 this holiday season. If you want to be treated fairly at every aspect of vehicle ownership and get award-winning service, call our friends at Brent Ridge Ford at 780-352-6048. You can ask for Rich, Johnny, and Uncle Milt in sales or Kevin, Margie, and Mike in service. Remember, cars cost less in Wetaskiwin. We'll wrap Oilers now with this day in Oilers history with Brendan Escott when we return. Royal Pizza, Pizza Pass, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for 50-plus years. If you don't like me, blame Royal Pizza. That's who my first advertiser was on Golden Bears broadcasts back in 1998-99. Royal Pizza, uh, 15 locations in Edmonton, one in Red Deer, four in Calgary, one in Regina, one in Saskatoon. Everything's real at Royal, and you can get a $10 bonus for every $50 gift card purchased until December the 31st. Visit royalpizza.ca where the stoffer is the Mediterranean chicken. We are going to go to the Stan Oilers history. It's presented by New West Travel. Again, you can join us on an exclusive 14-day trip to Newfoundland in June to see the Iceberg Festival. Reach out to New West Travel at newwesttravel.com, and we will be announcing in the new year our third and final Oilers Now Roadie of the Year. The first two trips were sold out to Nashville and Montreal. Brendan Escott's back at the 630 Chad Studio. Somehow I think it might have to do with Wayne from the Edmonton operation. In 1984, he put up career point number 1,000 in a 7-3 win over the Kings. 23-year-old, uh, 23 years old with 1,000 points. He needed just 424 games to get there. The previous fastest was Guy LaFleur, who needed 720 games. So Connor's going to beat that. Connor's going to beat Guy Lafleur in terms of getting to 1,000 points because Connor's at 895 at 595 games. So he's got basically 125 games to put up with 105 points. He's going to get that done for sure. But uh, Guy Lafleur was the idol uh, for my uh, era of kids growing up. No question, part of the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, four consecutive Stanley Cup victories in a row in the late 1970s. Tomorrow, one of the most plugged-in men in the business for Abe's Door Service, Elliot Friedman. Also, our NHL insider, John Shannon, for legacy heating and cooling. Up next, the global news weather traffic update with Randy Kilburn. Reed Wilkins will have the City Ford face-off show, and I will join you in 40 minutes' time 
at, what time is that? 4.35 Edmonton time. Reed's up next with the Face Off Show. So long, everybody, for now, from Oilers Now.